0: The Cricket Badger Podcast with Cricket 365. The Cricket World Cup 2019. Afghanistan. Australia. Bangladesh. England. India. New Zealand. Pakistan. South Africa. Sri Lanka. West Indies. Let's pick the bones out of this tournament. With your host James Butler, Cricket 365 Zolly Fisher, and journalist Akash Shiva Sub
2: Welcome back, everybody. It's the third weekly Cricket Badger podcast for the Cricket World Cup 2019 in association with Cricket 365 and Paddy Power. And I'm joined as always, as every single week of this World Cup by Akash and Ollie. First of all,
3: Ollie, how are you? Yeah, very good, mate. How are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. And how have you been enjoying the last week of the
3: Cricket World Cup? Uh, apart from the couple of damp days that we've had, it's been fantastic. All my predictions have been pretty good so far. So, yeah, let's hope it continues.
2: Yeah, there's a, a spoiler alert. Word of warning, listeners, he's crowing this week.
3: so He's done quite well. <laughs> Akash, you had a good week?
2: You've been enjoying the cricket?
1: Yes, I had a good week, but uh, the week was spoiled by two damp days and and prediction of further more damp days, so... You've you started on a low, haven't you? Let's get
2: into that. Let's let's talk about the weather first. I, I've been looking through the social media today. i probably contributed to it myself with pictures of rain. But it's annoyed me a little bit that people from overseas are saying the Cricket World Cup should not be played in England. May, June, July. Some people are saying, we know it's going to rain in those months, so therefore the Cricket World Cup should not be played in England in, the, in that time. I've come back a little bit and said... Well, summers are never the same in England. We always know there's going to be rain at some stage in the summer. It's England, for goodness sake. But sometimes May, June and July is actually the best part of the summer. Some years it's not. But I think it's a little bit wrong to say that England shouldn't have a Cricket World Cup just because there is a chance of, probably more of a chance of rain here. You've got fantastic support. You've got support from all over the country, all over the world, coming to the Cricket World Cup here. You've got um, an inbuilt population of Asian population who are supporting their team as well. It's a fantastic tournament. When the sun's out, there is nothing better than cricket in England. It's just we've had a week where it's rained a little bit. What's your
1: view on that, Akash? Honestly, my view is that uh, no country should be taken away or take the, the rights to host the World Cup should be taken just because of rain. What ICC should have done or could have done is have a reserve day because of how the format of the World Cup is. Or possibly what they could do is uh, invest money on having roofs, like they, they've uh, already started in Australia, which might help in the future.
2: The, having the roofs, I've seen that discussed as well on Twitter, and it's an expensive business, isn't it? And in a time where cricket in, in this country is looking to, to bring in the hundred to try and reinvigorate county cricket, spending half a billion pounds or whatever it might cost on a purpose-built stadium with a roof on it. Is that going a a step too far, Ronnie, for the few days' rain that we have in the summer?
3: Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Um, I don't think that you can really lend much credibility to the argument of either transforming current grounds, which would be very difficult to do, or, like you say, purpose-building grounds with roofs. In, In a trivial sense, you could argue what's happened over the last five, six days, where we've had three washout days. It's kind of quintessentially British in a way. You know, everyone can kind of roll their eyes and say, well, this is exactly what we thought might happen. Um, and, and we can just hope that as we get towards the business end of the tournament, we don't get any more washouts, you know, that could really affect teams' chances. But it looks like we're going to get some bad weather over the next week, so we'll see if this argument kind of develops. I guess in a logistical sense, the the obvious thing to do would be to allocate one or two uh, reserve days you could sort of have one halfway through the group stages and one towards the back end where teams can replay the games that they've missed because as Akash alluded to it does seem a bit harsh on some teams that might miss out because they've only earned uh, two points from two draws because two of their group games are washed out.
2: You're right it's quintessentially English so everybody's stereotypical view of the English from overseas is that all we do is talk about the weather and look what we're doing this week we're talking about <laughs> the weather and the reserve yeah. day thing I mean your, your idea is sticking a, re- a couple of reserve days maybe at the end of the tournament to uh, the end of the group stage to, to play any games that haven't been played i quite like that idea there's nothing to say it might not rain on those two days as well is there so mm. where you know where does that stop and if you do the traditional thing of, of, of sticking a reserve day after the date's supposed to be played this tournament's already quite long isn't it and to do that you'd probably have to make it even longer that would be a dangerous thing to me i guess. cricket wants to be in the sunshine well That's the wrong phrase. It wants to get in the spotlight. It wants to show what it can do. It doesn't want to be too long so that people lose interest in it, does
1: it? That is kind of true of what you're talking about, but then watching all these matches getting washed out and to the disappointment of both the sides uh, in in such a big uh, stage is kind of disappointing. There is a sense of enthusiasm which is lost because of these rains, which might affect, uh, I think, the attendance in the next few days.
2: It's it's one of those as well, Ollie, isn't it? It depends which games you get washed out. Will depend on whether you're happy as a team or not. Because if your games against the two top tiered teams are rained off, you've probably got two points in the bag one from each game from the no result that you might not otherwise have got if your games against Afghanistan and Sri Lanka are rained off you're going to be thinking well that's two points that we could have had that we haven't got isn't it You know, that's just kind of a bit of the rub of the green
3: Yeah definitely it will affect different teams in different ways obviously it will be a positive for some teams it will be a negative for others that's just kind of like you say it's the rub of the green but the only way to possibly solve that is to have pre-arranged something before the tournament which is basically a blanket policy to say look we've got a three day gap between between the final group game and the first semi-final there's arguably you know a bit of an opportunity to to get a reserve day in there somewhere or even it's sort of a four-week group stage process if you have a reserve day allocated per week where you can sort of replay any games that's has been... I know logistically it, it would be a kind of a nightmare to sort out because a team could end up playing back-to-back days. A team might have to travel from from down south up to Old Trafford to play on a reserve day or something like that. But look, if if it stops teams getting in their opinion, unfairly knocked out of the tournament because they've had two or three washouts, then that might be the only thing that you can do. And at the end of the day, it's England. It's not as if teams are having to travel all around Australia to to have these make-up days. But we don't really have that, so we'll just have to see how it pans out over the next week. And I say if if there are a few more washout days, then I think that this is an issue that's certainly going to become a lot more serious because it will affect teams in in more critical ways.
2: It was Stephen Rhodes today who was talking about reserve days because his team, Bangladesh, were taking on Sri Lanka didn't get onto the park, so had to share the uh, one-point apiece. And you'd imagine that Bangladesh, they would have had Sri Lanka down as a as a win
1: for their Makash, wouldn't they? That's why Stephen Rhodes, I would imagine, wanted to get on the pitch and wanted to get the points. Exactly. So in, when you're looking at Bangladesh as a side, they've uh, won against South Africa, and then they expected, or they were expecting to win against Sri Lanka. And for a match to go down like this, it, it's not fair for both the teams who have uh, practiced so hard for this game and the weather forecast is not, is not good for the next two days as well, so we might see some concerns or some eyeballs being raised in the next few days.
2: Oh Akash, you're a ray of sunshine in my dark light. <laughs> The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com, They're ethos. We love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Look, let's move on and talk about bales. We have had five instances, I think, so far where the ball has hit the stumps quite firmly. The lights have come on at certain stages because, the, uh, because of that impact, but the big zing bales, the heavier bales, have not dropped off. It's a hard enough game as a bowler, Ollie, isn't it, to, you know, you, you run in, you do all you can. Most of the time in one-day cricket these days, you're getting smacked to the fence, and it's you just fodder for a big bat. When you do actually bowl a batsman, you want the bales to come
3: off, don't you? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really don't know what else you can say other than that. Um I, don't, I just don't understand how this keeps happening like you say there's been five instances now where it's happened. Aaron Finch got asked about it after obviously Australia were on the right end of it in their last game but um, it, it does kind of seem to be happening more and more and even though we keep getting told that the Zing Bales are lighter if anything they seem to for whatever reason whether it's the, the structure of them, the material, whatever it might be they seem to be harder at a displace. and the thing is now we can sort of we can, we can make a trivial issue out of it but if it comes down to the situation where it's it's late in a game it's a semi-final or even a final something like that i don't think it'll be as funny i I heard that the zing bales were heavier because
2: they've got the contraptions in to make the lights light up that they were heavier and that's why they rested on the top of the on the stumps
3: is that not correct i'd heard that they were lighter but i don't know i could be wrong on that obviously they have got the technology in them to make them light up but they look to be surrounded by some kind of clear clear silicon or clear plastic kind of material um, and Finch said something about I don't know how much lighter they can make the bales Perhaps perhaps sometimes the bales being lighter Maybe in a weird way makes them harder to displace I, I don't know, I really don't know But it's, it's five instances, like you said It's five instances now So this is getting a little bit weird And if it happens later on Then I don't think we'll be laughing about it Akash,
2: imagine this scenario It's the final ball of the World Cup final In Eurobatting. England are bowling. The bowler, Chris Wokes, runs in to bowl the final delivery of the World Cup. Everything is on it. He bowls the batsman. The ball hits the stumps, the lights up, but the bales don't come off and the batsman trot through for the one run that they need to win the World Cup.
1: England, hearts are broken. The zing bales won't be funny then, will they? I don't I, I certainly don't think it's funny now as well. The five instances that we have seen, four of them have been fast bowlers. They've they bowled at one fifty 150 and one fifty two kilometers per hour and to see the bale just not even get get outside its group is not, not even a bit funny because they've they put in so much effort, they've run the extra yard, but also the other day when when England were playing, we saw that Joff Archer hit the bale and the and the ball went for a six. it, it crossed the boundary. I think there's something really wrong with the way I think probably the ball is light or the bale is heavier. The ICC have clarified yeah. saying that the bail are lighter than the heavier bales that they usually use. I, I certainly don't know how and why it happened.
2: I, I tweeted during or just after the game between Australia and the West Indies that I thought the umpiring that in, um, standards in that game were quite poor. And there was one particular over where Chris Gale was on strike. Chris Gale obviously rather important. The Western is at the top of the order. He survived two reviews. He reviewed two LBW shouts, which were deemed not out. And then he tucked the ball into the leg side for two and then the following ball he reviewed again but was adjudicated to be out LBW. It turned out later that the ball before that had been a quite a big no ball by Mitchell Stark and the ball that actually dismissed Chris Gales should have actually been a free hit for him and potentially more runs for him. This is the World Cup, isn't it? Ollie we need the highest standards here of umpiring and officiating and if whatever technology is needed, whatever the umpires need to back them up we need to have highest standards possible of umpiring
3: yeah this is the biggest stage this is the biggest tournament in the world in this sport it's the highest standard as you say so therefore the umpiring should match that um what what we're looking in looking at in that instance is is sort of five ten minutes of madness where um where there was three very questionable things um that happened and yeah they they had a shocker that game the umpires had a shocker as you say Mr no ball there was one of the one of the DRS re- reviews from um from Chris Gale and it was it was a shocking decision and quite rightly got overturned but in terms of the quality of umpiring in general um that game's obviously the standout, there's been a couple of other bad decisions that have been made in this tournament I kind of feel that you you get that because obviously the game's played at such high intensity and occasionally, you know, the, the naked eye isn't as, as powerful as you would hope that it would be. But I also think that you could perhaps look at, there'd be a study to be had into um, how DRS in its introduction in cricket has had an effect on umpires and sort of what the various percentages are in terms of what they've got right and what they've got wrong whether it's changed tendencies with an umpiring to, to give things out that perhaps they wouldn't have given out before because they think, well, the batsman can always review it. It's interesting, but in terms of the standard as a whole, just got to hope that it improves um, as, as the tournament gets towards the business end.
2: Just a word of uh, on behalf of the umpires. It is a very difficult job, isn't it? You're know, mm. got Joffre Archer, well, at 95 miles an hour. You've got a split second to make your mind up on what's, what's happened in front of you. Akash, they've got a thankless task, haven't they, umpires? And is it unfair to criticize them?
1: Well it is certainly very tough for the umpires to give a decision, but giving four wrong decisions in a single game is, is beyond imaginable because this is the biggest game in world cricket and you see the same umpire Chris Gaffney giving three wrong decisions, two in the same over, is is kind of taking the game away from the opposition. And I heard a uh, chance from the crowd saying that the umpire is too weak for the situation as, as he's just fallen into the Australian appeal, which, which I certainly think was uh, a right thing, I, I suppose. He, he he actually fell into the Australian way of appealing, who in that game, uh, particularly, uh, appealed excessively in the first second uh, second over when Stark was bowling. And uh, it's not the first time that Chris Gaffney has uh, given wrong decisions. We've... Uh, seen Chris Gaffney give a wrong decision last year in IPL when he was too afraid to give MS out. So I think there's, there's kind of a pattern which is repeating, which probably was neglected uh, after last year.
2: I've got two or three suggestions for you. One of the t- – well, two of the things, I think, which you can take out of the umpire's control entirely and allow him just to focus on the decisions that he has to make, which are hard enough, as I say. The first one is the wide – Because the wide, there were a couple of short balls that Andre Russell bowled, which Steve Smith just swayed inside of, which were given a wide down the leg side. It was repeated um, in in the opposition's innings. And I thought those very similar balls were not widened. And there's a bit of inconsistency sometimes in the umpires about what is wide and what isn't wide. They've got the guidelines on the track, but sometimes naked eye, split second, as I say, the decision's are different, and sometimes these games can come down to one, two, three runs, and those extras could make all the difference. We see at Wimbledon, Hawkeye is used as well to do line calls. So surely it's not beyond the wit of man to adapt Hawkeye to make the wide call so that a beep comes in the umpire's ear if there is a ball that's gone outside the the margins. If if a batsman has moved right across to the offside and has gone with the ball, the umpire could ignore that beep. Generally speaking, if the batsman stayed in his stance it's a wide either side, Hawkeye beeps, you give it as a wide. Isn't, is not that quite a
1: simple way of doing it, Akash? I think it looks simple when we're talking about it, but then when we are actually implementing it, 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 it is going to become difficult because a lot of times we see that uh, the, the game is going in favour of the batsmen because the wides are given free and fairly nowadays and the bowlers are, have to bowl again. and It's kind of those extra deliveries sometimes cost runs for the bowlers. Uh, but coming back to your point, I think it is going to be tough to implement that, and uh, also you know, we have to look at other aspects as well, as the cost and uh, doing it in every ground possible. I don't think it's it's feasible right now. I think it might be feasible in the next few years.
2: But the, the other thing, Ollie, I mean, if, if we say that wides is a possibility, then no balls surely is a possibility because if you overstep, then that can just be another beep in the umpire's ear. It can be different kind of beep, I don't know how it would work, but if the technology called wides and no balls, then all the umpire I mean the umpires pretty much look down the pitch now and ignore the no ball anyway, so if the technology is calling it, they can do that, they can look straight at the batsman, they can work out the angles and decide LBW's caught behinds and that they are the key decisions the umpires can be used for. The extras can be helped with Hawkeye.
3: I was going to say, after you, after you said initially about the wides, that it could definitely be implemented for no balls, where it's a lot more cut and dry. What you, what you see with wides, I think there is something to be built on there in terms of using the technology and using the current the current boundaries, the tram lines that we have in place. But the the problem with cricket, particularly batsmen, the, the game of the batsmen has evolved to such an extent now that they're constantly moving across the crease um, and... That can be a very, very last minute. Even sometimes after the bowlers just about to, or he's even just released, the ball, batsman can move across the crease. So it's like, where do you, yeah. where do you draw the line? At the moment, the the umpire uses their their prerogative. They use their judgment to to decide whether they've gone far enough for it to be considered wide, etc. Um, I think it's I think it's too subjective at the moment to introduce technology to call wides. But I think definitely from from a no ball point of view, you, you could do that. But then I would say as well, we. We've now got DRS in place, so umpires are allowed to make mistakes, what more would they have? They wouldn't have any responsibilities out there anymore.
2: There's only one review at, uh, at each captain's disposal, so once that's gone, the umpire is not allowed to make mistakes, is he? You know, you've know, you got to get it as right as possible, you've got to get it as right as possible before a, a DRS review anyway, so I, I, yeah, I, I think, think, you know, as, as much as we can help the umpires, I think it's better because it is a very, very difficult job. Oh, but hmm.
1: uh, I think we're, we're, we're missing one point here, because Hawkeye works in a certain way, right? So if the Hawkeye is implemented, that line is not only for the bowlers, but also for the batsmen. So can it differentiate between the non-striker and the bowler? I don't think technology is that developed enough to kind of differentiate between these two. So it's going to take some time for the technology to develop into cricket and uh, be integral part of cricket.
2: The listeners to the Cricket Badger Podcast have gone up by 580% in the last 12 months. Thank you so much for all of your support for the Cricket Budget Podcast. And if you want to advertise on the show, well, of course you can. You're more than welcome to play your part as the podcast goes from strength to strength. We're getting in front of a lot of people out there. It's a real opportunity for you to put your business in front of the cricket world. Get in touch with us, cricketbadger at hotmail.com Become part of the Cricket Badger family. I don't, I don't know how we solve this next point I'm going to make, but umpire's call is starting to really annoy me. And I used the Chris Gale example of his, his final LBW when he was actually dismissed. The ball was just shaving the stumps and because the umpire had given him out umpire's call meant because the wickets were going to be broken Chris Gale was on his way now if you go back go back a step and you replay that ball and the umpire gives it not out and Aaron Finch the fielding captain reviews it saying well we think we've got him he's been given not out exactly the same ball hitting him exactly the same place on the pads hitting the stumps potentially in exactly the same place Aaron Finch reviews it because the umpire's given it not out then umpire's call rules the roost and he's given not out. Now, that is exactly the same delivery. In cricket, it's either LBW, surely, or it's not LBW. Umpire's call is getting a little bit silly, isn't it? You know, the same call yeah. can be either out or not out, depending on who's reviewed
3: it. Talking there about a, a quirk or, or one of the things with umpire's call where from one ball you could potentially get two outcomes, and that is something that to a lot of people that don't follow cricket or perhaps aren't familiar with the DRS would seem completely irrational and strange. Like, how how is that possible? Obviously, we know it's in there because um, they have to account for a for a very, very slight percentage inaccuracy with Hawkeye. If it's clipping the stumps or whatever, it would stay as umpire's called just in case it would, would have actually been that, that millimetre further over. That's only if it's given not out. If it, if it was, um, had
2: been given out and it's clipping, it's given out. If it's given not out and it's clipping, it's given not out. That's an inconsistency. Yeah. a very stupid inconsistency for me.
3: I don't know what the I don't know what the, the well, to you solution you. to it is. I'm going to
2: tell you now. I'm going to tell you now, Ollie. What you do Here we go. is you take, you take umpire's call out of the equation at, altogether. And basically, if there is a review, and more than half the ball is hitting the stumps, the batsman's out. If less than half the ball is hitting the stumps, the batsman's not out. And there's your margin for error accounted for. Regardless of what the. Because the whole, the whole reason that there is a review is because people are doubting the umpire's decisions. So the umpire's call is already in doubt. So having yeah, but, the umpire's call involved in the DRS decision is not right. If more than 50% of the ball is shown to be hitting the stumps, it's out. If less than half the ball is shown to be hitting the
1: stumps, it's not out. Akash, it makes sense, doesn't it? I think it makes sense because we have the technology required to give such decisions. And uh, certainly sometimes we, we only see. It 3% or 10% of the of the ball hitting the stumps. And it's given an umpire's call and it goes in favour of the fielding team. So I think this this is a good uh, suggestion that the ICC could take up in the future to reduce the margins of umpire's call. It's not just for this as well. We have uh, another umpire's call with, with the soft decision that they give it as out and not out, which is, again, kind of controversial because sometimes even the umpires are really unaware or i could say that uh they don't know whether it's out or not or they're not sure about it and but they have to give a decision so these are the two things that might be uh controversial in the, in the near future which ICC will take up
2: let's move on to uh steven smith and david warner they've been uh, roundly booed pretty much everywhere they've been when australia were playing india the other day they're at gesture towards the crowd clap them don't boo them and has got roundly supported for his actions in that. In the press conference afterwards, he said, to paraphrase, they've done their time, they're back on the pitch, they're playing cricket. I know that if I was in that situation, I would hate to be booed myself. And he's been called a a sportsman, etc., etc. I totally agree with that. I think what Virat Kohler did was exceptional um, on the pitch the other day. I don't like booing, as you know, and I think it's getting a little bit tiresome, what's happening to Stephen Smith and David Warner. They're back on the pitch. Let's just get on with it. And I think Virat Kohli was quite right with that. I saw a a press conference with Safras, Ahmed, today for Pakistan. He was asked whether he'd do the same with Pakistan supporters. And he basically was very diplomatic and just said, well, our Pakistan supporters, they just like cricket. They're not going to be getting involved with, with all that kind of stuff Anyway. Virat Kohli though, Ollie, do you support his actions or are you against them? Because you were all for booing these uh, these guys, weren't you?
3: <laughs> yeah. And um, one thing I will say is uh, it's, it's interesting that Virat Kohli's found a way to make some other player being booed uh, into headlines for himself. I don't agree with what he did, to be honest with you. Uh, those are those are paying customers that's the way i see it and he's not in a position even if he is india captain to turn around and tell them how to support or not support other players they're cheats at the end of the day and they should be reminded of that and i totally agree with the booing of them when i go watch australia i'm going to boo them on saturday i just don't understand why we've all turned into snowflakes all of a sudden about this and like oh no cricket's a gentleman's game therefore they deserve the respect you know they've done their time ultimately, they were the ones that, that made the sport ungentlemanly in the way that they behaved, so I, I am happy to lower my own levels to, to let them know that they're uh, it's not being forgotten what they did You're the snowflake generation you're more like
2: a hailstone, aren't you? You're, you're a decent <laughs> yeah, disgrace I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think Virat Kohli was right, and I, I as you know, I wrote a piece of Cricket 365 about Virat Kohli this week, where I mm. suggested two-thirds of the way through the piece that He's not a great captain. I think tactically he's a little bit naive. I think he doesn't get ahead of the game. I think he follows the ball a little bit. And I think the, his heart and his sleeve kind of nature, blood boiling all the time, always looks like his fuse is about to explode, he isn't the right kind of leader for a cricket team because you want somebody that's a little bit more even keel, a little bit more Michael Vaughan, Kane Williamson, Joe Root. I think that's a far more effective captain on the pitch. But what I did say was the difference between captaining and the tactics involved and being a statesman, being a, a, being a leader and having the game's best interests at heart. And I think that's what Virat Kohli displayed the other day. I think Akash, he was a statesman. He was looking at what was good for the game.
1: I, I certainly appreciate uh, Kohli's actions because he not only told the crowd not to boo, but he told them to support them, which, which, which is slightly controversial. But when you look at it, there's a lot of people who have come to the game for the first time or the second time more or they have a younger generation right there, what kind of example are we setting to the next generation? We are appreciating or we are telling them to uh, agree to boo these people for the mistakes that they have done. It's kind of a norm there. Then it should be applicable to all the players who have been caught in the past. It it cannot be just David Warner and Stephen Smith. It should also be applicable to Fab Tuplicy, who was also caught for it. And I think it's kind of... uh, Hypocritical when we're talking about uh, few players or select players being booed and the others not being booed. Cricket is a gentleman's game, so what is the reason for booing?
3: For example, Mohammed Amir still gets booed. You still hear him get booed. I heard him get booed when he was playing for Pakistan against England. Mohamed Amir shouldn't be on anywhere near a a cricket pitch because Mm -hmm. he's
2: part of a, a threesome who went to prison For fixing a cricket match, it's irrefutable. They were tried in court and they fixed a cricket match. There should, in that
3: situation,
2: no. Let let, let me finish. There should be, in that situation, be no second chances. There should be, there should be zero tolerance for anybody who is fixing a cricket match. I, I love Mohammed Amir. I think he's a cracking bowler, but he should not be anywhere near a cricket match. He should not get a second chance. For me, with with the sandpaper gate. I think there was, it was very hard to actually pin the blame on anybody. Stephen Smith was captain, did he know? David Warner, what influence did he have? What part did Cameron Bancroft play? Did Darren Lehman know? There's, there's nos and yeses across all of that. And to ban some for life and to not ban others, I think would be harder than actually just banning them for a year, which at the time was the most punitive punishment they could receive. And the next question for you, Ollie, is—I yeah, mean, you hinted at it there. How long are you, are you going on Sunday? you going to boo them when it's 2028, 20, and David Warner's walking out with his stick, and Stephen Smith coming out to bat.
3: Are you still going to be booing them then? I—I I don't know. I, I don't know. Possibly, probably. Obviously, it's difficult to, to to sort of imagine how how long these issues stay relevant for. But I was just using the example of Amir in terms of something that I'd heard recently, and obviously the. The one argue, the one arguable difference there is that Amir um, was nineteen, he was misled as as a very young player and he is, I guess, guilty of artificially altering um the outcome of the cricket game or not not even the outcome, the sort of conditions of a cricket match. And that's exactly what, what Warner and, and Smith did. Um and they also led a younger player in Bancroft astray as well. So I, I think I just, I just don't understand, especially when when Coley, going back to to what Coley did, him encouraging the crowd to clap them, as if like, where do you draw the line then? Is it anybody who's a cheat and makes a comeback should be clapped instead of booed? I, I just don't get but it. That, I don't get where all this is coming from. To be honest, I, I think the point is that they've they've
2: served their punishment. They've done their time and they're effectively then allowed to kind of rejoin society, aren't they? And I think, yeah, it's, it's very easy for people to say, well, a year's not that long. But Stephen Smith, he was Australian captain. It's the highest honour you could give anybody in the games, and it's captain your country, and to be in that prestigious position, and you've mm-hmm. lost all that, and you're always going to be remembered. Regardless of what, whether they're booed or not, there will always be that tagline. Not anything written about them, they were banned for a year because of Sandpaper Gate. They're never going to ever get across that it's so always going to be with them in some respects. So I think they've been quite harshly punished in a way. Um, I think it was right, but I think they've been harshly punished and they should rejoin
3: the cricket fold and, and be able to get on with their careers. Yeah, and, and they have been. You know, They are getting on with their career now but one thing it doesn't offer them is a clean slate. It doesn't wipe it from everybody's memory. And, you know, it's like it's in England. For example, if this World Cup was being played in the West Indies, I don't know if they'd be getting as vociferously booed, or if, it, especially if it was in Australia, you know, they'd, they'd probably be getting some kind of hero's reception. I just think it's part and parcel of it. They they won't mind. You know, if anything, the concern from it all is that they, uh, they respond to it by sort of coming out all guns blazing and having an amazing tournament. And Warner's not having a bad tournament so far. Smith isn't... So, you know, if at the end of it, those two have got their hands on the trophy in in one way, shape or form, then uh, they'll probably pretty quickly forget about, you know, a few hundred people who were were booing them as they walked out to bat. Yeah, Mohamed
2: Amir is always said to be the innocent in that
3: kind of trio for Pakistan because he was a youngster. Cameron Bancroft
2: is always said to be a, a youngster and led astray. Well... You're twenty-two, Ollie. If I were to put a gun in your hand and say, All "Right, go and shoot somebody," and you did it, am I leading? You? I'm leading you astray, but you're still doing it. You know it's wrong.
3: Yeah, but uh, we're not on about shooting anybody here.
2: We're, there was, there we're was not, a yeah, You
3: know what's of right and wrong as a human being. You know what's right and wrong, don't you? Yeah, I do. One thing I will say is what was a little bit different is that there was an incredible amount of money that was put in front of my Mohammed, Mohammed Amir's face, which, yeah, was wrong to accept, but it's life-changing amounts of money that he otherwise wasn't going to get. He made the wrong decision, ultimately. He made the wrong decision and it will still be in his mind to this day. But it is a little bit different to saying go and kill somebody.
1: Let's look at this issue from a third person's perspective. When you're looking on the the television and you're looking at uh, the World Cup being the biggest stage and all you hear is booze from the crowd, do do you really think that sets a good example to the World Cup? Because that's not the World Cup how we are supposed to look at it, right? I don't I
3: think that I don't think that it should be viewed as a negative if there's a bit more atmosphere in the grounds during the World Cup. Be that positive or negative, people, especially those people, and I don't really like this narrative, but there's this whole thing in the moment about converting sort of football watches to, to people who watch cricket. And if they if they if they flick on and see a bit of a hostile atmosphere or whatever, they might they might be a bit more invested in it because it's sort of what they're more used to. I don't know; it can work in different ways. You're right, perhaps. Perhaps all the, the hostility isn't what we want as cricket fans and, and people who appreciate the sport for what it is, but I also think you need to look at it both ways and think, ah, you can't you can't have a go at people for creating a bit of atmosphere and reminding cheats what they did.
0: Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream.
2: England got their campaign back on track. We were talking last week on the day that they lost to Pakistan, but England beat Bangladesh. I thought that was a very good performance by England. Obviously, winning the toss was a, a, was a very handy thing to do on that day, but Jason Roy who 153, plenty of other people contributing with the bat, and a decent performance with the ball as well. You might say, yes, only Bangladesh, but Bangladesh... We're a slippery team in this tournament. They're going to beat quite a few
3: teams um, as we go through. England, I think, avoided the banana skins there and played quite well. Ollie. Like you said, the most important thing was to recover from the from the shock, if you will, and to to get back on track. It was perfect for us to be batting first to set a big score and then hope that our bowlers could kind of bowl themselves back into a bit of form. Uh, it ended up it ended up working that way. Jason Roy was the with the pace so that was the pace setter, as you said, 153 off 120 um, odd balls. I think it. Uh, 14-4s, say it's the second highest score by an Englishman in, in the history of the World Cup as well, I think. So that's that's a nice little milestone for him. And then with the ball, we never looked like losing. You know, there was a there was a partnership in there for the third wicket that took some shifting, but, but we got there. And then the wicket sort of fell at regular intervals. But yeah, it's just about getting back into the groove now. And, and we've got a few, you know, quote unquote, winnable games uh, before we have a tough last three.
2: New Zealand currently top of the uh, standings with six points, three wins from three. But Akash, they've had a good start, haven't they, in terms of their fixtures. They've played the, the three kind of less fancied sides in this tournament, Bangladesh, Afghanistan, and Sri Lanka. But you still need to beat them, don't you? It's, it's three wins that will have got points on the board and also fill them with confidence as they head towards uh, playing India.
1: Uh, it is kind of true that they, were, they are the lower side, But uh, remember, this is World Cup, so we can expect any surprises at any moment. So New Zealand... Uh, should be happy that they've gotten three games out of the bag. so they they're feeling pretty confident right at the moment and uh, they could they could take this form next to the next games and uh, which is a huge factor when we look at uh, other teams like south africa who have failed uh, to perform as they were expected to uh, now they don't have that confidence going into the games while new zealand have that confidence going into the game so confidence really matters in looking at world cup
2: Akash, I was going to bring up South Africa because they were your pick to win the uh, tournament. Played four, one point from their result, three defeats. It's a bit bleak, isn't it?
1: It's really unfortunate for them to be uh, at this position because the luck—I mean, luck was was a huge factor in them not winning a game, a lot of games. Uh, when you look at the first game, they were playing really well at, at, at a certain point in the game against England, where they, after which they failed and uh, they completely collapsed. But they had the good moments in the game. They could have gone either side of when we're looking at 180 for 3 on 180 for 4. Since then, with injuries to Dale Dalesin, with injuries to Hashim Amla, and a lot of key players getting injured at the wrong moment, uh, they've, they've uh, suffered.
2: Your pick, Oli, for the uh, title was India. They've got underway with two pretty comprehensive victories for them. They're looking okay, aren't
3: they, in this tournament? They've started well yeah they have yeah um i 've been impressed with them um obviously we had that that talk last time about and um, having an extended period of rest because they're starting the tournament later they 've certainly made use of that they 've looked really impressive in their two wins um The one thing that was mentioned when I picked them uh, to win the tournament was that they're obviously their batting lineup's very strong but they 've arguably got the best um the best in attack at this tournament, and they 've certainly both. Both showing up, the two main guys in in Bumrah and, uh, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, they've they've both showed up so far as well. So they've just got to keep it going, really. They they shouldn't they shouldn't fear anyone throughout the group stages, and then when it comes to knockout cricket, they've got a lot of experienced players in there that can that can certainly get them over the line. I mean, Rohit Sharma's having an amazing tournament already, so um, I think uh, I think Virat will be feeling pretty good about things at the moment.
2: Let's have a quick chat about Australia because they've uh, two wins. From their three games, one defeat as well. I am not convinced by Australia at all so far. They could quite easily have been beaten by West Indies. I thought that West Indies had them on had them for toast at one stage, and Australia obviously fought back with the bat. And then I thought Andre Russell was quite irresponsible um, for one of my favourite players. I think he just came out with the blood boiling to try and hit sixes off every ball, and then eventually hold out. And that was the moment that West Indies handed the initiative firmly back to Australia. But Australia's spin bowling department doesn't doesn't impress me. You you said a few minutes ago, David Warner's having a great World Cup. Well, he's pedestrian by his standards. They, you know, when they were chasing India's total, David Warner needed to be the David Warner that came out all guns blazing and, and firing boundaries. He was going along at a strike rate of in the 60s and, and less than much of his innings. Australia needs to go up a gear if they're going to reach the final four, don't they?
3: They do. Um, I think they'll be... Disappointed with that showing against India, to be honest. Um, they never really got close. I mean, three-five-two is a massive score to give up, but I think that particularly giving that up highlighted some of the frailties in their in their bowling. Um, where Mitchell Stark won them that game against the West Indies with his five-for, he arguably cost them the game against India because he just couldn't get them under control at all. He went for seventy-four. Uh, like you say, Zampa, who. Zampa and Maxwell, who you'd say the, the wicket-taking spin options, both went at, at comfortably north of six and over. Uh, didn't even bowl out the ten overs and neither of them got a wicket. So it's, the, the concerns are there with their bowling. I think the batting lineup it will be strong enough to win them quite a few games, but it, it just comes down to this thing. Now we're already looking ahead to the semi-finals and potential matchups, and you just say, well. India would would overmatch Australia at this point, and I would say England would as well. I think both do all three departments better. Yeah, there'll, there'll be worries for them, but like I said, if they get into that final four, you know what they like—they love the big stage—and um, you just can't rule them out.
1: So the, the, there's going to be a few changes to the Australian lineup in the next few days. Uh, we've seen that Marcus Twain is, uh has been injured, and he'll be replaced by Coulthard as a as a batting all-rounder now, and then we'll have, we'll see another bowler tray, slot straight into him, and then. That's kind of something that we're going to be seeing in the future, I think. That will help them to give uh, an extra edge, a bowling option, and, and say, I think, it, it would be Jai Richardson who would start uh, the game. And that might really kick-start them going into the World Cup.
2: I've been disappointed with Stonis, actually, with the ball. I think he's, he's a high economy rate just waiting to happen. He, he doesn't seem to have the control or the threat to me for Australia. So it's, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing um, that he's uh, going to hmm. be missing out I may be losing to you. We'll come on to this in a minute, but I may be losing to you both in the predictions of the the, the match results. But uh, I'm quite happy with my four that I picked for the semifinals. I think England, India, New Zealand, and the West Indies got every chance of making that final four. Let's run down very quickly, guys, through our uh, regular questions of the week because we've been gassing for quite some time. World Cup winners. Ollie, you went for India. You still confident?
3: Yeah, I am still
2: confident, yeah. I went for England. I'm okay with that selection still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Akash. <laughs> South Africa, I guess maybe they they need to win every game and they're still not
1: guaranteed. Yeah, they're still not guaranteed. I don't think they have a chance now.
2: Next one, what has been the best innings of the week? Batsman of the week. I'm going to go first with this one because I want to get him in. Jason Roy, 153 for England against Bangladesh. I thought it was a terrific knock. I thought he played very proper cricket. He only got out, to be honest, because he'd hit three sixes in and over and was trying to go for six in and over and did a bit of an Andre Russell and hold out. But I thought it was a top innings from Jason Roy who has changed my mind on him a lot over the last year. I see him being a test opener for England as well. I thought Jason Roy's 153
1: for me, innings of the week. My innings of the week would be Shikhar Dhawan. I mean, there's a clear reason why I have picked Shikhar Dhawan, because the ball was doing a little bit in that first 10 overs. they played it out, and then his innings, his pace, and everything was good, running between the wickets. That's the best Shikhar Dhawan we have seen in the last uh, few games. That's so My pick is Shikadon.
3: You're batsman of the week then, Ollie. Are you agreeing with either of those two or are you picking a third choice? Correct answer is is Jason Rye. Um, That was a, (laughs) a destructive innings. It was a joy to watch. You know, it's... I picked him at the start when we did our first episode as a possible candidate for the fastest half-century, and, you know, we saw exactly why. He may now be a contender as well for getting the most runs in the tournament. It's certainly put him right up there. I think he's got the second-most runs in in the tournament at this point. So that is the answer, but, I mean, Rohit Sharma deserves a mention. That, uh, for that century against South Africa in, in Southampton, it was the slowest of his ODI career, but, but the way that he scored his runs even made Virat Kohli label it the, the best ODI innings that he's ever played, so um, I think he deserves a nod for that, but yeah in terms of pure power and entertainment it was definitely Jason Roy.
2: I agree I think Rohit Sharma is looking dangerous for India Mumbai Indians are always my IPL team, and Rohit Sharma captains them. And when Rohit Sharma is playing well, India tend to play well. Let's move on to the bowlers. Start with you, Ollie, with this one. Your bowling performance of the week.
3: Certainly, the most overpowering spell, in in my opinion, was Archer's um, three for twenty-nine that he took against Bangladesh, including an early contender for the ball of the tournament when he whipped that one bail off somehow. Uh, suppose you have to bowl about ninety-seven miles an hour to knock the bails off nowadays, but yeah, um that that was a really really good spell. But my answer to it is Starks five for forty-six against the West Indies. Um Four of those were the last four wickets, uh, which came at absolutely crucial times. Like you say, yeah, Russell kind of lost his head in that situation but he got them into position to win that game and and yeah
1: well, i'm joining uh olive with this uh, i think it's mitchell stark for the week because he brought the, i mean he brought uh, the game home for australia where they were struggling against uh West Indies. i mean for the week baseball bowling figure for me three votes
2: for mitchell stark then my uh, yorkie from the past um i thought he was excellent mm-hmm. and when mitchell stark's bowling well for australia He's a real threat in white ball cricket, the Yorkers, etc. And obviously he's opening spells. Pretty dangerous as well. So Mitchell will start Bowler of the Week for this podcast. And we'll finish with our champagne moment of the week. And mine goes to Sheldon Cottrell. We were, we, it was a catch that won it last week with Ben Stokes. But Sheldon Cottrell, I thought his catch was even better. Stephen Smith pulled it down to the fine leg fence. Sheldon Cottrell was down there. He caught it with one hand on the move. Momentum was going to take him across the rope tossed the ball up, stepped out the rope, came back in again, caught the ball, fantastic moment, there were so many moving parts of that catch, I just thought that was truly exceptional, so Sheldon Cottrell, my champagne moment.
3: Yeah, mine was going to be Cottrell as well, um, I thought that was an amazing bit of fielding, amazing bit of improvisation, Um but I suppose just to be different, I'll I'll go with what I mentioned earlier. Uh, Archer's first wicket against Bangladesh. I'm a real sucker for like visually appealing line and length, you know, where it just just whips the the top of top of off stump and knocks the one bail off. In this case, um, I thought that was amazing, amazing, and his teammates loved it. So I'll go with that
1: just to be different. Well, my champion moment for this week would be Jason Roy's 150. That that's a real milestone. When we were talking about uh, in our previews, when we were talking about, I mean, if any batsman could get beyond 175, we thought it was a possibility. And Jason Roy showed he was almost there if he didn't uh, attempt the six. But that was my champagne moment of the week. Yeah, it was it was it was the lure of
2: hitting six sixes in the World Cup that got Jason Roy out. I thought he mm-hmm. he batted brilliantly. Just very quickly, just a yes or no, or a Stokes or a Cottrell, which was the better catch in your opinion so
1: far, Stokes or Cottrell, Akash? I think it's Cottrell because Stokes misjudged it and uh, Cottrell judged it perfectly. That's a long one-word answer, are uh, we? Stokes.
2: Cottrell for me. I thought he was superb. I thought there's so many things that could go wrong with that. He was excellent. A new feature on the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast is the letters page, very much in inverted commas, because what we want you to do is to record your comments on to your telephone Send us the audio to cricketbadger at hotmail.com and we'll play it out as part of that letter page function. Maybe even react to what you say, whether it's an opinion on cricket, international or domestic. Maybe you've got some selection suggestions for the England team or for your county. Maybe you just want to have a bit of a rant. Make it anything up to a minute long, send it in to cricketbadger at hotmail.com and you might find yourself on next week's Cricket Badger Radio Show Podcast. Let's have a look ahead then to uh, next next week's fixtures, we'll make our predictions but just to update you on our little private battle that we've got here um our charity battle and it's not looking too good for me it has to be said (laughs) i went for the west Indies to beat australia they came close but they didn't land me my points and the other two guys picked australia to win that one we all picked pakistan to beat sri lanka that was a no result ollie you get your joker back for that game, so you, that doesn't count. So you still got all five jokers in your wallet to spend, either this week or over the course of the rest of the World Cup. We all played England to beat Bangladesh, and they duly obliged. We also played New Zealand to beat Afghanistan, and they uh, came home even at short odds. So we got our five units back plus a little bit of profit. Australia against India, you went India, both of you. You win. And I lost because I chose Australia to cause a bit of an upset there and catch India cold. So the upshot of all of that is, after two weeks of our private battle, I am in third place. So I'm tempted to go back and wipe the tape. (laughs) 53.57 points are on my list here. Akash, you're in second. You've leapfrogged me. You're on 66.6. And Ollie, you are stretching out in front here. 88.12 points in the bag for you after two weeks. So well done, Ollie. You are our current leader. Thank, Thank you. Let's move on then to uh, the picks for week three. And um, we picked our Australia-Pakistan winners at the end of last week's podcast. So we'll stick with those. All three of us went for Australia for the game being played on Wednesday of this week. Thursday sees India taking on New Zealand. India 1-2 with Paddy Power to win this game. 13-8 to for the Kiwis. So, India
3: or New Zealand, Ollie? This is a really hard one to call. Obviously, both teams are informed. Both teams have got 100% records going into this, so someone's going to someone's going to lose that. Really, really hope that the rain stays away for this one because it'll be an absolute cracker and it'll be a big sort of litmus test for for where both teams are. I'm going to go with India. I'm going to give India the edge on this one. I think they've got stronger batting
1: and marginally better seam bowling. No, I'm, I'm going with New Zealand because overcast conditions it might swing, and we know. How dangerous New Zealand are and it's swinging.
2: I'm with you, Akash. I'm going to go New Zealand as well at 13 to 8. They played the warm-up game and Trent Bolt ripped through the top order and India never recovered. And I think it could be overcast. New Zealand could do some damage there, so 13 to 8 on New Zealand for me as well. Moving on to Friday, England take on the West Indies. The power pack West Indies are five to two. England are very short at two to seven. I'm going to pick first here, and I'm, I'm a bit wary of the West Indies in this because I think the West Indies. Yeah, they've got match winners, haven't they? They could almost win the game on their own. I'm going to go England though, two to seven. I think the English are on a roll now. England two to seven for me. Akash,
1: I'm going with the West Indies.
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't like this game from an English fans' point of view. Um, like you say, the West Indies have just got a lot of raw power, and they've got match winners, and we'll we'll need to bowl very very well. I'm still going to take England, but. With those, with that price and the risk that's at play, I, I won't be putting any money on it. I can just
2: see Andre Russell turning
3: up and getting about
2: 180 off 20 balls. Yeah. Isn't it, well, I know that's not possible before anybody uh, emails in. Cricketbadger at hotmail.co.uk if you want to do such a thing. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, at cricket underscore badger. In the World Cup, on Saturday, we've got two games. Sri Lanka take on Australia. The Sri Lankans are 9-2, 1-7 for Australia. Ollie, start with you.
3: Yeah, I'm, I've, uh, I've got a ticket for this one. I'm going down, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going with Australia. I think uh, even if, if if Australia, if conditions are right, if they bat first, then they've got a chance to sort of get their eye in. But if not, then they could they could roll Sri Lanka over and it, I could be on the way home by about 3 o'clock.
0: If you're listening
2: to that or watching it on the television, there's one solitary boo in the crowd. It's Ollie. Um, <laughs> uh, Akash, for you, Sri Lanka or Australia? Australia. I'm going to go Australia as well. Yeah, I just don't think the Sri Lankans are very good. Um, South Africa take on Afghanistan on uh, Saturday as well. South Africa are one to six. The Afghans are four to one. Could this be the moment my boys turn up and cause an upset in this tournament against the lowly South Africans who have yet to win? There's going to be a change, unless it rains, there's going to be a change in that perspective. One of these teams is going to take a win. I'm going to pick first here, and I'm going to play a joker. I'm taking Afghanistan at 4-1 to one to do the South Africans. Ollie.
3: Yeah, um, I'm a little bit worried about this one, because it, it, obviously there's there's a lot riding on it for both teams. I think South Africa win, and I'm going to pick South Africa. Obviously, you know, it, it actually wouldn't surprise me if Afghanistan found a way to win this game, but I'm going to go in my head on this one and, and say South Africa. So
2: I've used my second joker there of this tournament. Ali, you've not used one yet. And Akash, you've used one of done? Are you using a joker on this one? No, I'm not using my joker, but I'll still support South Africa on this. Might keep him off the bottom, might keep him off the bottom, Akash. Someday, yes. India against Pakistan it doesn't get any bigger than this, does it? The Indians are 1-3. Pakistan are 9-4 to, to win this game. There will be a fever pitch crowd for both sides at that encounter. It doesn't get played often enough in the Pakistan, but when it gets played it is special. Hopefully the rain stays away. Akash we'll start with you, India or Pakistan?
1: Well I'm afraid of this encounter because last time we played Pakistan on English soil it didn't go well. But I would be supporting for India with all my heart and guts and mind and everything. And hopefully they win this time around.
2: I am gonna take India at one to three.
3: Ollie? Um I know what Akash is saying I'd be very wary based on the last sort of knockout game that these two teams had on English soil. But I'm gonna go with India. I'm gonna go with India, but I'm just really looking forward to that game in general. Anything can happen, it's gonna be an amazing atmosphere and uh, yeah, but I'm I'm taking India.
2: Let's move on then to the game on Monday. West Indies taking on Bangladesh. I'm not gonna go first on this one, I'm gonna give you a clue. I'm playing a joker on this one. But we'll start with you, Ollie.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I've got the list of fixtures and I was going to play a joker on it, but I'm not going to bother now. Um, West Indies, I'll take West Indies in this.
1: Well, I'm, I think I'll be going against you boys and I'll be supporting Bangladesh this time.
3: I'm going to play my
2: joker on Bangladesh, see so You're wrong. I think the West Indies are a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde side. I think they're going to be fantastic one day and then they will lose against a team that you don't expect them to. And I think that might be the day on Monday. 15-8 to 8 on Bangladesh. I'm doubling up and playing my joker on that one. Let's move on. Tuesday sees England taking on huh. Afghanistan. This is a game that I feared for England for some time. It's two days after India played Pakistan, so it's going to be a used pitch at Old Trafford. Old Trafford tends to turn anyway, um, so if you're looking at match bets on that one, uh, the Rashids going head-to-head, Abdul Rashid and Rashid Khan, got to be worth a few quid to uh, take the most wickets in this game, I think, cause there will be some turn. England are 1-18, it's exceptionally short. Afghanistan are 8-1. to 1. start with you, Ollie, on this.
3: It's almost not worth it with those odds for England, but um, I understand your concern, but I, I, I'm going to go with England, though, still. I think England will win. But I'm going to take Afghanistan, just for the price, just for the chance <laughs> that
2: I might be able to scoot back up the table a little bit. 8-1 to 1 for Afghanistan to cause one hell of an upset. Old mm-hmm. Akash, how about you?
1: I'm playing a joker on England. I think they'll win this game against Afghanistan comfortably.
2: And we'll do well, Wednesday's game as well. We might record on Tuesday night and it might be surplus, but uh, New Zealand are taking on South Africa. Now, before the tournament, New Zealand-South Africa, it sounded like a mouth-watering clash. The compilers for Paddy Power still see them 9-10, to 10, both sides to win this one. It's got to be New Zealand, though. I think New Zealand is a, a very underestimated side. Just generally speaking, I think they get to the semifinals or romp to the semifinals. They could even cause the finals and even the trophy um, a bit of a shake as well, but New Zealand for me, at nine to ten in that one. Olive, what about you in that game?
3: Yeah, I like the price of New Zealand in that. Um, I, I had a sneaky feeling that the the markets might not have reacted yet to sort of what's been going on in the tournament and would just sort of look at it as an 11 v eleven'm play um, I'm going to play a card on New Zealand, didn't it? You going to hmm. joke on New Zealand. Right. On New
1: Zealand, yeah. and uh, Akash I think South Africa will, will rise to the occasion and perform well against New Zealand but I've always been wrong on this show but uh, let's, let's hope for the best
2: so you're picking South Africa as your final choice yes. of the week and that's our picks then and there's some terrific games hopefully the weather stays well doesn't stay, it, hopefully it changes and gets back to being nice and sunny and we see some fantastic cricket because there's some superb games on the cards over the next week Akash and Ollie, thank you very much for joining me this week. Thank Good you evening. very much. Major pleasure. So Akash, Ollie and James, we'll be back again next week for the weekly edition of the Cricket Badger World Cup 2019 podcast in association with Cricket 365 and Paddy Power. Thanks for listening and join us next week.
0: Podcast Network. 18 plus.